Grace Commons, we are so glad that you are worshiping with us this morning. My name is Kelsey. I have the privilege of serving here as the Assistant Director of University Ministry. And just so you all know, I am a graduate of the University of Alabama, Roll Tide. And originally, this series was called Go With the Tide. And it just felt like the stars aligned perfectly for me to be able to talk about the reign and superiority of Alabama football, as well as the reign and superiority of King Jesus and his kingdom. And this is not a joke. In my notes for this very sermon, I was trying at length to intersect those two things. But they ended up calling the series Kingdom Tide, so it no longer made sense for me to talk at length about Alabama football and Bear Bryant, Nick Saban, 17 national championships. So it makes a little more sense on Christ the King Sunday to talk exclusively about King Jesus and his reigning kingdom. So before we get into today's message, let's pray and then see what would be revealed to us this morning. King Jesus, we come before you this morning. Lord, we come before you trusting that you will teach us, that you will lead us, that you will guide us. So Lord, I just ask that you would speak through me this morning, Lord, and that all of our hearts and our minds would be drawn nearer and closer to you. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. John Somerville, he is a history professor at the University of Florida, and each year with his students, he would run a social and thought experiment with the students. He would ask his students to imagine that they were out late at night, and across the way, they would see this little old lady with a big old purse, and the thought would occur to them that they could easily overpower this woman, just knock her over, steal her purse, and run off before she ever realizes what happens. But inevitably, they don't. So why? Somerville would point out that there are two possible explanations, two possible reasons to why they don't just knock over this woman and steal her purse. The first is that they're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about how if they were to knock over this woman and steal her purse, then they would be seen as a horrible person. They would be seen as a bad person. Not only that, it would be a poor representation on their family, their tribe, their community. They would bring shame onto themselves and shame onto their families. This is part of an honor-shame culture, and Somerville would point out that this is the self-regarding scenario. You're thinking almost entirely about how you would look and how it would reflect on your family. And then there's the second train of thought. In this train of thought, you think of this woman. You think about what would happen to her if you just knocked her over and stole her things. What if there's money in her purse that is used to take care of her tribe, her community, her family. In this scenario, you are thinking about the well-being of this woman. You're thinking about her, not just yourself. And Somerville points out that this is other regarding, different from the self-regarding of a shame-honor culture. And then to end this experiment, Somerville would ask his students to raise their hands for which train of thought they would take. And inevitably, they all raise their hands for the second, for the other regarding scenario. And to the student's surprise, Somerville points out that thinking of others 
before yourself stems from Christianity. Whether they realize it or not, their morals, their values have in some way been shaped by Christianity, by Jesus. Before Christianity, there was the honor-shame culture. You put yourself and your tribe above all others. Then Jesus came to inaugurate his kingdom and flipped that on its head. When Jesus came, he inaugurated a new way of life, a new set of values, a new way of living and ordering our lives. Our lives are no longer lived for the sake of our honor and avoidance of bringing shame to ourselves or our families. With Jesus, our lives are now lived with others in mind. When Jesus came, he changed everything in our world. King Jesus is like any other king, and his kingdom is unlike any other kingdom. His kingdom did not come from this world. His kingdom is from another place. And I don't know about you all, but in preparation for this morning's message, I realize that I don't often, if ever, think about how Jesus is my king. I think about Jesus as savior Jesus as healer, Jesus as a friend to sinners, Jesus as a kind and caring and compassionate man, Jesus as the son of God, Jesus as a teacher of the law, but hardly ever do I think about Jesus as my king, as your king, which leads me to wonder what does it actually look like for me and for us to live as if Jesus is king? And I think our passage this morning will help us answer this question. And our passage is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, starting in verse 33. And at this point in John's Gospel, Jesus has been betrayed, arrested, and now he is before Pilate. And not long after the account of this passage, Jesus will be crucified. And Jesus will not fight the crucifixion. He will willingly let it happen. And here's what Jesus has to say. Verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on this side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. To be fair, There is a lot going on in this passage that we could talk about this morning. And if we were to talk about and look at all of it, we would be here well past lunch. I don't like to skip meals. So we're just going to focus on this one line that Jesus says to Pilate. 
Jesus says that his kingdom is not from this world. His kingdom is from another place. And his kingdom is different than any other kingdom we have seen before. And Jesus is a king like no other king. And I find it interesting when Jesus evades the question from Pilate on whether or not Jesus is the king of the Jews. Jesus responds by saying, is that your own idea? Because Jesus isn't just the king of the Jews. He certainly is, but Jesus is a king for all people. And it's interesting that the kingdom of Jesus did not come through force, succession, election, conquest, revolution, or any other worldly power. And he says that if his kingdom were from this world, his servants would have fought back when Jesus were arrested, when Jesus was arrested. If Jesus were trying to establish a kingdom of this world, there would have been a revolution. Jesus would have an army. Jesus would be trying to overtake the Roman Empire and turn the throne over to himself to gather a following, to be dominant and superior and become the most powerful. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. He told his followers not to fight. In this passage, he seems to be very aware that he is going to die, and still he is not fighting against it. He's not begging Pilate to release him. He's not arguing. He's not trying to make a case for himself to live. I don't know much about becoming a king, but it sort of seems like you can't be king if you're dead. Sort of seems like that throws a wrench in the whole becoming a king thing. But Jesus doesn't seem concerned about dying. So why? Because his kingdom is not from this world. His kingdom is from another place, and he is a king like no other king. And after Jesus was killed... Jesus had the audacity not to stay dead. Friends, this king cannot be killed. This king cannot be defeated. This king will never be dethroned. This king will reign forever. This king did not come to fight against worldly kings or kingdoms, but rather to fight against Satan, against death, and against sin. Jesus came for our sake, not his. This king came to inaugurate his kingdom through love, service, and sacrifice. His kingdom came through the divine will of our Father in heaven. Jesus didn't live and act like a normal king. He didn't follow the values and characteristics of this world. Jesus followed the values and characteristics of his kingdom in heaven. Jesus both lived and died for the sake of others, not for his own recognition or status. With college students, we have been in a series on the Gospel of Mark that we've titled Jesus is King. So it feels like I've been thinking about King Jesus and his kingdom for the whole semester. And what becomes clear through Mark's gospel is that Jesus is a king like no other king and his kingdom is like no other kingdom. Instead of buddying up with individuals who could help bolster his reputation and popularity, Jesus associates himself with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, criminals, children, and the least of these. It becomes clear that Jesus has power, but he doesn't use his power over others or to oppress others. Rather, Jesus uses his power to cast out demons, 
to heal people, to forgive people of their sins, to calm storms, to make people whole and well. And when his disciples are fighting over who's the greatest and who can sit at the right and left of Jesus, Jesus responds to them and says, actually, if you want to be the greatest, you need to get into the back of the line and serve everyone else ahead of you. And instead of amassing wealth for himself, Jesus speaks against those who are rich and says, you cannot have two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And even while he was being crucified on the cross, he held no animosity or grievances against those who arrested and supported this crucifixion. And Jesus told his disciples that others would know that we are disciples of Jesus, not through our power or our status, but through how we love one another. Jesus is a king like no other king. His kingdom is a kingdom like no other kingdom. And the kingdom of God is both a present and a future reality, the already here but not yet kingdom. And in the meantime, we are agents in manifesting and making this kingdom known. Not through power, not might, not a huge army, not resources, not altering or interfering with worldly kings or kingdoms, but through love Service to others, joy, peace, patience, self-control, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, and gentleness. We manifest the presence of King Jesus and his kingdom as we become more and more like him. We manifest the presence of King Jesus as we seek to love and serve others. We manifest the presence of King Jesus as we seek to bring wholeness, peace, and human flourishing to this earth. We, as followers and disciples of Jesus, we are not just citizens of a coming kingdom. We are the presence of that kingdom. Believing that Jesus is king should change what we value and how we live in this world. And here's some ways I see the kingdom manifested in my own life and the lives of those around me. I see the kingdom manifested in my husband, Cody, who when he saw a homeless man without shoes, he just took his shoes off and gave it to this man. I saw the kingdom manifested when Cody put this man's needs above his own, knowing that he had the means and resources to buy another pair. I see the kingdom being manifested when I see how patient, gentle, and kind Dave Palmer is with two young children who are constantly demanding his attention. I see the kingdom being manifested when I see how my in-laws are generously and selflessly letting Cody and I live in their rental for free so that we can save money to buy a house and so that we can pay our way through my seminary degree. And I see the kingdom being manifested in my marriage when I make the conscious choice to put the needs of Cody above mine. And I see the kingdom being manifested when I see that Cody does the same. I see the kingdom being manifested when I know that someone is in a rough spot, they are in a tough situation, and still somehow they are exhibiting both joy and peace. 
I see the kingdom of God being manifested when someone chooses to forgive someone else who has wronged or hurt them, even if it takes years. And I see the kingdom being manifested when someone chooses to use their resources for the benefit and sake of others, not just for their own gain or prosperity. And I also see where the kingdom is not being manifested in my life. I am not a naturally patient person. I certainly am more patient than I was 10 years ago or even a year ago, but patience is a thing that I lack. Patience is a thing that I pray for more and more of. And I see where I lack in that it is not second nature for me to take time out of my day or week or life to serve other people. I certainly do it when it's convenient to my schedule, but it is not something that I do on a regular basis. So I pray for the heart and the willingness to do so in this area that I lack. And I could keep listing thing after thing that I see that is certainly the kingdom being manifested in the areas that I need work on. The point is that each day, each week, each month, each year, we should become more and more like King Jesus. We should become more loving. We should bear more fruit of the spirit that Paul writes of in Galatians. Joy, peace, patience, self-control, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, and gentleness. All these fruits, these qualities lead toward wholeness, shalom, human flourishing, and healthy relationships. And these are the very qualities that are depicted by King Jesus. Jesus is the one who depicted love, joy, and peace. Jesus was patient, kind, generous, faithful, and gentle towards others. And Jesus was always in control of himself, even amidst temptation and suffering. Jesus is a king like no other king. And his kingdom is like no other kingdom. And for us to live as if Jesus is king means that we represent and manifest the qualities of his kingdom in our daily lives. It means that we become more and more like Jesus and where we lack, we pray for more of Jesus to work in us and transform us into his likeness. For us to live as if Jesus is king means that our sole purpose isn't to live for just ourselves or our tribe, but that we keep others in mind. We are no longer self-regarding, but rather other-regarding. For us to live as if Jesus is king means that we aren't trying to be the greatest and most popular and most powerful, but rather we get in the back of the line and we serve everyone else ahead of us. And for us to live as if Jesus is king means that in our wake, there is more wholeness and human flourishing than there is wreckage and brokenness. Jesus is king. Jesus' kingdom is present. And we are the manifestation of this kingdom. The question remains, does your life reflect this king and his kingdom? Let's pray and then worship together. Jesus, we ask that each day we would become more and more like you. Lord, that your kingdom would come. 
and that we would manifest the qualities and characteristics of you and your kingdom. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.